Welcome to the Bitches Be Brave podcast. We know how difficult and crazy it can be to juggle family, career, and not to mention make time for yourself as a busy working mom. So it's time to get inspired and gain the tools to create a life you love. We are your hosts, Bev Steele and Heather Hobbs. Join us as together we motivate, inspire, and gain tools to thrive in all areas of life. Let's go. Welcome. On today's episode, we're getting real about sex, aren't we, Heather? Uh, It is one of those episodes where I think it's very revealing. Um, It's also, you know, sometimes uncomfortable to talk about, but that's the whole point. And that is what we address today. I know going into the interview, we felt, I think, all of the feelings and thoughts that anyone would taking that step to talk to a sex therapist and, but you didn't hold back really, Heather. Once you warmed up. <laughs> I never do. I know. I always kind of cross the line of revealing too much and asking too much, but um, it was good. So this is one of those episodes, I think, whether for men, for women, but um, talking about sex in relationships, the things that we don't want to talk about, the, the reasons that we should talk about them and how to talk about them with your partner. Yeah, and when we talk about balance or no balance, it is a really important part of life, your relationship. And once you start talking about it, as we did, it, it becomes easier. And um, I just think that it's such an important thing that we can't let that fall off our list of things to focus on. Well, we always talk about putting yourself first, right? And taking care of yourself first. And I think that you know, making time for sex in your life is a good part of also reducing stress and feeling more balanced. So it is one of those, I think, essential pieces that we need to talk about. So here we go. go. Welcome. We are here today with Dr. Lauren Krigler, who is a doctor of physical therapy who specializes in women's sexual health. She also coaches women and couples worldwide who are having issues with sex, like pain, low desire, and decreased pleasure. She's all about getting the partner involved too and helping women enjoy all of date night. We are so excited to have you here today, Lauren. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So I would love to hear your story and how you became a sex therapist. (laughs) Well, so I went to college majoring in nutrition at the University of Florida because I was just, I've always been since a kid, I was really fascinated with what we can do easily in our lives that would change our bodies and how we feel. So nutrition seemed, you know, natural for me. And then beyond that, I went to get a doctorate in physical therapy because, again, it's what can we do to make our bodies feel better, you know? And I got some exposure to this whole pelvis area, and it was something that nobody talks about, you know? I grew up in a family that does not talk about sex or the pelvis at all. We just pretend that that area doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. And when somebody started talking about well, there's incontinence and IBS and constipation and pelvic pain and pain with sex. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And this is something that I could specialize in. Okay. So I started talking to women about it and I was overwhelmed by how many women, almost everyone said that those things touched their lives in some way. 
And so I kind of saw this need where nobody was doing it. And I was like, well, this is actually really interesting to me. And, you know, you start from there and it becomes easier and easier to talk about. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's definitely one of those things. I think even girlfriends don't want to talk about things that go on down there. You know, it's one of those kind of very private areas that I think we've been kind of taught and raised that it's just not the appropriate thing to talk about. So um, how, I mean, what are you finding that is kind of, is there like one main area that women mainly struggle with and come to you about? Well, so I have built my practice mostly around sexual issues. So most women who are coming to me are coming either with pain with sex or low desire issues. And so at some point in most women's lives, they're struggling with that, whether it's first time sex. Um, so I do see some couples have come in and, you know, they are unable to have sex completely because of pain. Um, I see people who didn't have a problem, but then had kids and through the, you know, the process of childbirth, things changed and now they're having pain or low desire. And then again, another major milestone is, is menopause and things change, you know, nobody likes to talk about it, but it's not just hot flashes. It's, you know, vaginal dryness and decreased desire. And there's things that we can do that are natural that, you know, you could take hormones and that's great too. Um, but there are things that you can do in your life to kind of boost your desire too. Bottom of the list a little bit, just because, you know, you've got more people in the house, you know, you're having to find a closet. So just, you know, even the time invested <laughs> is not as often. And so for a woman to finally say, gosh, I, I really need to do something about that. Does, you know, at what point are they reaching out to you? So I, I feel like there's sort of two different questions in there. And one is how do people find me a lot of times? Well, sometimes through podcasts. So <laughs> thank you for educating your listeners. Um, but also a lot of people find me through um, their OBGYNs or their internal medicine um, physicians. So I do a lot of outreach to physicians to ask about a woman's sex life because a lot of physicians don't ask mm -hmm. and they're surprised to know that most patients aren't offended at all. They actually feel really special that you took the time to ask them, hey, how's your sex life going? You know, are you having any pain? Are you having issues with desire? You know, especially if they're in those areas of life when, when those things might change. So that's how people are finding me. Now, as far as making time for it, that's a whole, that's another question. So for some women, um, I do have a brick and mortar clinic. So some people come in and see me that way, but a lot of people see me as um, an online coach. So I'm able to see them. I see a couple of clients at 7.30 in the morning and I see some people at night and I see some people on their lunch break. So they're realizing, you know, that this is important enough that they want to make some changes. And when it comes to like trying to find time in your life, this is when like I'll put a little bit of a life coach hat on. I'm like, there's always things that you're doing and you guys know it. There's things that you're doing that you don't need to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, things that you can delegate like doing the dishes. You know, you've got kids. <laughs> if, they're, if they're old enough to go to school, they're old enough to empty the dishwasher, right? Like there's things that you're doing that you could have help with and delegate 
there's things that you could be doing. Um, you could automate more. So that's why I'm like, you know, we will find time to do this, whether it's, you know, putting things on your click list or <laughs> on an Amazon re repeat order kind of thing. And then there's tons of things that we should just stop doing, right? So if you have time to binge, you know, Netflix, <laughs> like some, I watched the whole series of this, you know, but you don't have time to prioritize your love life, you know, a few years down the road, whatever you're focusing on now is going to be the biggest part of your life. And I definitely don't want Netflix to be the biggest part of my life. Right. Well, don't you see though, I mean, I wonder, right, when we talk about kind of, you mentioned earlier, like there's many ways to boost your desire. And I look at, you know, I know I was looking at some of the blogs on your website as well. And you talk about, you know, just when relationships and how they change over time, once you have kids and you're busy, but a lot of people come become disconnected. And so how much of kind of getting back to that place is around actual couples therapy, right? Like fixing mm -hmm. the issues between you. It's not so much a sex issue. It's a connection relationship issue. Um, I would assume. Right. And then after that, you kind of, you know, you get back down to how much of it is an actual sex issue. So mm -hmm. how do you kind of dig into that? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so glad you saw that because I, you know, half of what I do is talking about communication. Half of what I do isn't talking about sex at all. It's about, you know, getting on the same page in other ways. How are you feeling um, appreciated at home? That's huge. That's huge for a lot of women, right? So if you don't feel appreciated, you're really not going to feel like having sex, right? So it's amazing the little changes that people can make that make a huge difference in their life. And their partners just they don't know. They don't realize it, you know, and sometimes you've said it, but they kind of need a third party to come in yeah. and look at the whole picture and actually create a plan of how this is going to happen to actually make changes, you know? So when you get to that point, when you feel like you're blue in the face, like I've said that to him, but sometimes it's okay. But you know, you're looking at your side of it. You need somebody to look at the whole picture. Yeah, that makes so much sense. We actually had a conversation yesterday on an interview about validation and how difficult that is sometimes. You know, by the time that you really get to a point that you don't feel appreciated, you're blowing up. So that doesn't help with your sex life either. So. <laughs> well, I think too, I, yeah. I remember back like the men are from Mars and women are from Venus and like women want to feel loved and men want to feel respected. But the first things that we kind of hold back are those, you know, like when women get upset and we don't feel like we're feeling loved, then we kind of get snippy, don't show respect. And, you know, I wonder too, it seems that just from conversations, like it's it, women can lose that desire for sex if we're not feeling connected and we're not feeling loved where I feel like men sometimes just can have sex no matter what, if they're angry or, you know, forget it. But, um, when that starts to become a big void in your relationship, I mean, both sides get, it's, it's hard to get back because you're, you're losing that connection of love. Right. For a lot of, I mean, and this is a stereotype because I, I do see some women sometimes that have higher sex drives and, mm -hmm. and it goes the other way. But most of the time I'm seeing women who they want to make a connection before they have sex, but their partners feel like sex is the huge part of the connection. So each side is actually 
equally valid. And I know it doesn't feel that way for a lot of women, right? So sometimes you have to switch things up a little bit, trust a little bit. And sometimes it's creating, you know, creating a pattern where there's a little bit more trust in the relationship that, okay, so if we have sex, then, you know, then we're going to cuddle, then we're going to create this connection. Mm -hmm. Yes. To a guy, I, I hear men tell me this all the time. They say the worst thing is for you to start out a conversation with like, this is not going to lead anywhere, by the way. We are not having sex tonight. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> uh, at least give me the idea that it could happen. You know, it's like that record, not. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they feel like, you know, you have said, I'm not going to make this connection with you, you know, and for when I put it like this to women, I think it helps. If your partner said to you, you know what? I really love you and I respect you and I want to spend time with you, but I really don't want to hug you anymore. Like I just, I'm not into hugs, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know about you, but if my partner said that to me, I would be devastated. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal, you know, and I'm not even a, a massive hugging person, but that is a big deal with connection. And I think a lot of women are like, yeah, if I had to think about my marriage like forever without really having hugs or I'm going to hug you like once a month, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that sounds pretty terrible. Yeah. But because for us, a lot of that is truly our connection is a physical connection. So imagine if, you know, we're, we're replacing the word hug with sex and that is a, they feel like I'm getting this huge, you know, bonus from you when I get a hug, getting this huge bonus when I get sex, you know? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I really think that, um, that the more you don't, the less you want it. It, you know, it really seems like it's something that if you get out of the habit or the, you know, planning to, then you're just not doing it. And then the time that goes by, it would make it worse. Um, and when you were talking, I was thinking at first when you said, you know, you see couples as well, how, you know, it would be, I would think it would be difficult um, to get the husband in. But when you bring it that way, they must be very motivated to get that corrected. Um, and I loved on your website that somebody can start um, talking to you via email, which to mm -hmm. me seems like a very comfortable if they're, you know, not real comfortable talking about it, building a relationship with you via email, and then maybe moving to video conferencing. And that to me feels really good. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I liked that option because there are people who, you know, again, that could be a scheduling thing purely, you know, that like, oh, I really only have time at midnight. Well, I'm not going to talk to somebody at midnight. <laughs> um, but for a lot of people, it is like this really timid factor, you know, based on their personal history, whether there's abuse or, you know, other situations that just, they grew up in a family that never talked about sex or that referred to sex as evil or sinful, you know, it's a big deal. So I'm always, you know, keeping that in mind that for some people, they're bearing their soul in a way that's really, really personal to them. And i don't ever want there to be a barrier to somebody getting help. So when I see one, like if email would help, then let's do email, you know? Yeah. So I know for myself, um, 
something that, you know, I'm really big on how I feel about my body, right? Like if I'm feeling like, oh God, I haven't had good workouts. I'm just feeling like I'm a bit soft and flabby and I'm just not feeling my best. Like I just don't want to be seen like that. And so, so many times I'll be like, no, and it's my own problem. And I know the pro- the reality probably is like that my husband doesn't notice that he doesn't care or notice if I'm, you know, had done my ab workout or not. Um, but I, you know, I think so many times for women, it's that body image that probably holds people back and just gets into your head and kind of going back to that psychological thing again. Um, you know, how do you coach women through that? And especially if women do struggle with their weight or do struggle with, um, you know, any other sort of disorders or things, you know, I recently had surgery and I have a huge scar now across my stomach and that too, just, I felt, you know, kind of embarrassed. I felt kind of just self-conscious of that. And I think that's a big barrier to get over for a lot of women. Yeah, definitely. So a few things that I coach women on is setting up the environments that you feel comfortable and having like all your things ready. So if you need to have, you know, lubrication on the nightstand and a box of tissues on the nightstand or whatever it is you need so that you're not like getting in the position where, okay, now I'm naked and now I have to walk across the room and I don't feel comfortable walking across the room naked because a lot of people have, you know, you've got that one position that you look really good in, right? <laughs> like, set up the room so you can be, you know, um, in your best light. And speaking of lighting, you know, dim lighting, candle lights, you know, everybody looks good in candlelight. Mm-hmm. And the other reason I love having couples in is because when you say, what you just said. And, you know, I'm looking at you on video screen right now and I'm thinking, God, she's beautiful. Right. And I'm sure your husband feels the same way. But so just knowing a little bit that, you know, this is you and he thinks you look gorgeous and he does not know that you didn't do your app workout. Right. Um, <laughs> and then changing clothing a little bit, like they make camisoles that go down to, you know, the panties or the waist for a reason. Cause a lot of women don't like, um, don't like that middle, middle section of their bodies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you can have sex with a lot of clothes on, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> like people, people forget that, but you know, it's not like you have to be naked to have sex. Yeah. Um, and that might be the way that your partner prefers it. But at the same time, um, you know, a little bit of something's better than you know, <laughs> not getting anything at all. I've never had a guy say, you know what, if my wife doesn't get completely naked, I don't even want to have sex. Like right. that's not, that's not a thing, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's right. only in our head. I mean, I'm, um, in the Atlanta area right now, it snowed last week and, you know, and we, you know, it's really cold in the house. And so things change, you know, (laughs) sex when in the summertime and sex in the wintertime might look different based on, you know, the amount of clothing you're willing to, to remove. And if that's a self-conscious thing, that's an easy switch. So how, talking about lingerie, how important is, um, the, environment for the man is, you know, we get into rut wearing our husband's boxers and a t-shirt to bed, but should women be taking the time to, you know, wear the cute lingerie? You know, you hear men are very, very visual. What is, what are your thoughts on that? So 
I think it depends on the woman and the man. I think, you know, it depends on the couple that you're talking to. I think for most men, you're right. They're more visual. They are, they're going to prefer lights on or some kind of lighting where women might prefer something to be darker. That's why, you know, I think the candlelight's a good compromise. Um, and whether or not you're changing into lingerie depends on how much time you have and, you know, what, what the situation is. But I think a lot of what I talk about is confidence boosting for women. So if you feel better, and most women will feel better in something that fits them properly and, you know, accentuates their good parts and, you know, maybe overlooks something that she doesn't like. I'm not going to call it her bad parts because that's BS, but, um, you know, you're going to feel better. And if you feel better, you're going to feel sexier. You're going to anticipate having good sex instead of like getting through something, right? Yeah. It sounds like a shopping opportunity to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have to be, you know what, there's $200 um, items and there's $20 items and, you know, you can look awesome. You can rock out a Walmart, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, something. It doesn't have to be like this huge investment, um, but yeah, it's worth it to, to look a little better if you, that makes you feel more confident for sure. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I have to ask the question, um, is there an ideal number of times that couples should be having sex to be considered a healthy number in a relationship? And I guess on the, the converse of that is, is there a number that deems you've got trouble? Like after you reach a certain part, a certain time. Um, so what's the, what's that kind of magic number? <laughs> you know, people ask me that all the time and really there there isn't a magic number. When people talk about low desire, at least that's how it's talked about now in the medical community. It used to be low libido, and now people talk about low desire, same thing. Um, to me, low desire isn't really a problem. So if, you're, if low desire to you means, you know, once a week or once a month or whatever that is, that's fine. The problem is desire discrepancy. The problem is the difference, right? Too. Yeah. So if you're a once a weeker and your husband's a once a weeker, then there's no problem, right? If he's like, oh, I really am more like a four or five times a weeker, you know, and you're an every other weeker, <laughs> then we've got a problem. So then we start the conversation of, like what's reasonable and how do we fit that in and how do we, you know, logistically with scheduling, how do we fit that in? And also um, how do you create like the desire to want to do that more often, you know? So it's really, it's really the difference between the two. I think it only becomes a problem. I mean, when we're talking about the extremes, if we're like talking about once a month or less, some literature describes that as a sexless marriage. Mm-hmm at once a month or less. Um, I don't know that I would use the word, I don't know that I would talk about it that way. Um, and then there's definitely some issues with people who are wanting to have sex multiple times a day. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're on a vacation, <laughs> it's a little hard to fit that in. So, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you help with that conversation. <laughs> I was like, not until the kids are in college for sure. Um, so you talk about the, you know, there could be uh, physical pain and then it could be something that's going on 
um, you know, just environment, that kind of thing. Um, when it's a physical, I assume that sometimes surgery could be needed or, you know, there might be something that needs to be taken care of. But when I was thinking about that, I was wondering what your thought is about uh, vaginal rejuvenation. It, to me, I think, why would you need or want that? Do you think that that is something that is trending? And what is your opinion on that? So my husband's an OBGYN, so I get to have a little bit of insider knowledge on this as well, uh, where our, our professions overlap a lot. Um, and so vaginal rejuve rejuvenation can mean different things to different people. Um, at first, when I first heard it, I was pretty turned off by it, to be honest. I thought, you know, shouldn't a man just like your vagina the way it is? But the women that come into their practice about it actually um, – they want it because things have changed. And also, as my practice went on and on over the years, I saw what I realized, oh yeah, if it was this different, then I would probably want to change as well. So some people have like a labia that's been like torn. Um, and so it is, it's split in two different ways, or it's very, very large. And maybe even walking, she feels her labia rubbing. So a little bit of surgery to correct um, some of the outer parts makes a lot of sense to me if it's mm -hmm. something that you're self-conscious about or really feel is physically uncomfortable. Um, and then now there's also the O-Shot. Have you heard about that? No. What's that? No. <laughs> so, You've heard of it, Bev? <laughs> I feel like I have heard that term, but I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> So for some people, that's what they're talking about when they say vaginal rejuvenation. So I just want to make sure I mention that as well, that um, that is a shot that is basically your um, plasma that they'll spin out and get platelet-rich plasma and inject it back into you in the vagina or the clitoral area. And that is your own cells helping to rejuvenate those tissues and build healthier tissues. And so there is some evidence that that improves orgasm, which is why it's called the O-Shot. Mm -hmm. There is also oh. some evidence that it's improving <laughs> um, urinary incontinence as well. So, you know, it's not the first thing I would sign up for, honestly. I'm not, I'm a very, not a needles person, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, mostly because I do not like pain in any way. Um, yeah. But... But for some women, they are reporting that they're having benefits. So it just depends on how important that is to you, how, you know, risk versus benefits. The risk there is very low, but um, other than the discomfort of the actual office visit. Um, and so, you know, if you've tried other things, that might be just one thing in the list of options. Yeah. So it may could work as a placebo effect even after you get the shot. You're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry, but a shot in the clitoris is like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> right. Well, a lot of it's like in that area, not right yeah. into the clitoris because that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my gosh. So I know on your website, you have a whole section of products, right? And you have, and you, you talk about, um, pelvic floor wands, dilators, you know, different things. We've, we've all heard about vibrators, but how, I mean, how do you see those in, in a healthy sexual relationship? Like, are there certain things that you think, um, 
you know, are like when you talk about a pelvic floor wand or a dilator, like how, how and where do you see the use for those things? So a pelvic floor wand and dilator, those are both um, therapeutic tools. So those are things that I, I would not recommend that you use during sex or during any kind of sexual encounter. That's more for people who are experiencing pain mm-hmm. for one reason or another, and they are trying to adapt their vagina. So like a dilator, for example, like most people haven't looked at that web- at my website, so they don't realize <laughs> that it's different sizes of something that basically looks like a candlestick, right? Um, and if you're having pain, then you might adapt to the one that is like the size of your pinky and then slowly work your way up. And, you know, there's a lot of different techniques that you would use with them. And that's something that, you know, I really recommend to people that I'm coaching them through how to do that. Um, and that can be anything from just they've always had pain or they've had pain after childbirth or even that they're going through cancer and radiation to the area. Um and that they need to sort of maintain the size and shape of their vagina. I know that's something that most people don't think about, but, um, um, but that's one of those things. And then the wand is actually used so that you can go up into the vagina. And I'm, not, I'm showing you this on video, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like trying to describe this for your podcast listeners. So you're going to go up into the vagina and then because it's curved, you would turn it and then it would hook down onto the vagina. And so that would allow you to rub into those muscles, um, much like you would give yourself a back massage with an, you know, a hook shaped wand. Well, you can give yourself a pelvic floor massage. And that's really helpful for people who have trigger points and pain within the pelvic floor. So those aren't really, you know, your sex toys and things like that, like um, vibrators and other things that you would incorporate with sex. So before we get back into the vibrator discussion, I wanted to know maybe about then um, Kegels. We all talk about Kegels and trying to exercise your, you know, your muscles down there. So where, where does that fit in into importance? So Kegels are one of those things that can be good and can be bad. Um, if anybody's experiencing any pain, then Kegels are not your friend. They are not something that you want to be doing. Um, if you're experiencing low desire, it depends on why, because some people um, are actually experiencing low desire because their pelvic floor is too tight. And those are like your type A high stress people, um, people who like things to be perfect. <laughs> you know, like I could tell by talking to somebody that oh, you're probably in this camp of people that that might not be for you. And there's people who feel like they're having, they're not having any of those troubles. They're not having any pain. Um, and they're having more symptoms like urinary incontinence or some other issues like that, that indicate that maybe your pelvic floor is actually weak. Um, and then kegels are perfect for those people. Now there's also the issue of, are you doing them correctly? And that's something that, you know, when I say I get intimate with couples, I mean, I'm describing, how you're going to know if you're doing them correctly based on him positioning his hands in certain places and, you know, Mm -hmm. figuring out whether that muscle popped out into his hand or not, you know? Um, So yeah, we go there, but it's, it's all fun. Um, For the right people, it is awesome. And it is a good way to keep your muscles strong. There's also a sensation of like lifting the entire pelvic floor, like 
if you're trying to bring your vagina up off your chair right now, you can try this with me if you want. I'm doing it. <laughs> I, I was too. <laughs> and versus like a sensation of contracting your more superficial muscles. So sometimes for women, I'll say like, this is like if you were trying to bring your labia together right? And so you're getting these, like, when I say superficial, I mean like on the outside of your body, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to like deep inside your body. And so those muscles are right around the clitoris and those muscles can really help with clitoral orgasms. So when you're talking about the couple doing these exercises, is something that you do with them or is this a exercise that you give them to do on their own and come back. Right. Um, that is more of something that they're going to do on their own. Um, if I have somebody in the actual clinic with me, then, um, I can show them and he can, you know, put his hands where my hands were to try to appreciate that muscle contraction and see whether or not it happened. And we keep it really like, and he's got gloves on and we're keeping it very clinical. Um, so there's nothing kinky going on here. (laughs) Um, but then we'll talk about, Hey, this is how you're going to do it at home though. And then it can move from, this could start out more like a therapeutic session and then turn into something more. Mm -hmm. Or we may, depending on the couple, set a boundary of when this is a therapeutic session, it is nothing more. That may be important too, depending on the situation. That way she doesn't have to say nothing's going to (laughs) happen. Right. 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 Yeah. You just watched that Goop episode the other day where I don't know if you saw that Goop, the Goop show. Um, It's Gwyneth Paltrow's Netflix series, but yeah, they had a whole episode on um, this sex doctor but it was very like, she was like right there while they were <laughs> practicing things. And it was, uh, yeah, that was, I'm like, that's a little too close for comfort. I think if uh, you were seeing a sex therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll see people with back pain or hip pain and other issues. And I'll talk very specifically about position. And if they're in the clinic, I might even get her in that position, but you know, he, yeah, he's keeping all his clothes on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I guess the last thing, because I know we were talking about um, kind of mentioned vibrators and toys and things like that. So how, how do you see that fitting in? And is that just obviously, um, you know, a private discussion between people? And, you know, I guess sometimes too, you have people who want to keep things literally private to themselves and not share it with partners. And is that healthy to have I think it's a great idea to involve other things in your bedroom. Um, The statistics for women that can have sex through vaginal intercourse alone, the most commonly reported number I see is 20%. And so when you consider that, it's like, well, then something else has to happen, right? You You either need to be incorporating oral sex or, you know, something before and after, or you can be incorporating toys during the process so that you know, everybody can be enjoying every moment of it, you know. Um, women are great at multitasking, so there is no problem with adding a little bit more in there. We have tons of nerve endings in that area, and depending on the person, you might have more nerve endings around your clitoris. You might have more nerve endings around your anus, like whatever it is that it takes to really enjoy sex. I I just can't imagine why you wouldn't want it to be as pleasurable as possible. And when we talk about 
you know, women not desiring it, part of it is because women aren't consistently having orgasms. Um, there was a study that said a third of women aren't having orgasms at all in any type of orgasm. Um, a third of sexually active women. Does that make sense? So they're mm-hmm. having sex, but 33% are not having an orgasm. I'm like, well, you know, if I didn't have an orgasm, I can't imagine really wanting to come back for this again. You know, like, <laughs> you know how we train any other animal, like you get a reward, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I to keep coming back, you know, yeah. I need a reward, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, uh, so I think the thought is the vibrator is something that you use when you don't have a partner or by yourself. So introducing that into your relationship, you know, there's got to be a feeling of, is he going to be okay with it? Or, you know, then how do we use it? So that would be a great thing to be coached with, you know? Mm -hmm. So how would you recommend a a couple bring that into their relationship. That term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So vibrators, a lot of vibrators are meant to be used externally. Um, so you could then be having sex with a penis right, into the <laughs> vagina and still have a clitoris, you know, externally that could be stimulated at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, that does not work super well with, you know, man on top of women position that most people are, you know, um, are used to talking about or thinking about, but there's all kinds of other positions that that would work with. Um, and then some of them are meant to be used internally and then you get more into the, okay, obviously that can't be used at the same time as, as you know, having a penis in there. So then you're having to think, okay, is this a before after I have couples go through, a sexual menu um, with things that they are interested in. And I have, so I have all these different rows of different, you know, things to try and I leave some blank purposely so that they can, you know, write something down. And I have the, uh, each partner fill it out separately. And there's three different columns. One is this would make me feel loved. One is this would make me feel excited And one is this would likely lead to orgasm. And I think all three of those are really, really valid. Mm -hmm. So again, that would give you the opportunity to check off hand-holding. It's at the top. That might make me feel loved. It might make me feel excited. Probably not going to make me lead to orgasm. Maybe it does for you. (laughs) You you definitely (laughs) don't need me then, right? Um, But then there's a lot of other things that they might be part of the excitement process. Like you are really getting my interest right now, but they're not going to lead to orgasm, but that's still valid, right? So there are a lot of toys that you could use that would just um, increase sensation, increase excitement. And it might be, and sometimes like that alone is never going to get you there. But when you're so close and you're like, I just need a little bit more of something, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's when I'm like, ooh, these little toys can can change things up for you. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's interesting because it's kind of like, you know, you've probably read about, I know we've talked about it on our podcast about the love languages. And mm-hmm. I've brought up before about how my husband and I had gone through and done the assessment and how we are literally opposite of one another. Like his number one is touch and like 
that's kind of my bottom, my bottom one. And so, um, I can almost see in the bedroom as well. Like if you've been married for a really long time and you maybe just like you get in the, the routine of doing things and you think, okay, this is what my partner likes this. He thinks this is what I like, but things may change. And so I love that idea of maybe going through and saying, let's just like see where we are because there might be something you just don't even think your partner would want that maybe they are interested in. Maybe it changed or maybe it's new. Um, or maybe just all along, um, you just never went there. So I love that idea of maybe, mm-hmm. you know, doing that with your partner. And it helps for, you know, any like bashfulness, like, you are yeah. like, oh, she brought that up. You know, there are a lot <laughs> right. of things. One of the main reasons it helps to have a third party talk about it is then y'all can talk about how crazy I am. Like, I can't <laughs> believe she said that, you know, yeah. and that's fine. That's starting. That's part of starting the conversation, you know, and who you both were sexually when you met you've, you know, you change, you evolve and, you know, you're more, you may be more confident and more willing to try something new where when you met your husband, you weren't, and he doesn't know. So he doesn't know that, wow, I, you know, that you've mm-hmm. gotten a little more daring. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And the longer you are together, you know, the trust factor changes throughout the relationship, depending on what's going on in the relationship mm-hmm. as well. But when the trust factor is really high, you're willing to try things that, you know, when you were dating or newly married, you know, you probably weren't. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been, this has been so fun, Lauren. I know there's um, just so many questions and so many more areas that we could go. And so can you tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can, you know, find your website and learn more about you? Yeah. So my website is drlaurencrigler.com. So that's D-R-L-A-U-R-E-N-C-R-I-G-L-E-R.com. And then I am conveniently at Dr. Lauren Krigler on just about anything, (laughs) Facebook, um, Instagram, and so on. And also if you find me at Dr. Lauren Krigler on Facebook, check out the Facebook group because we're in there. um, And that's just a great place. It's for women only. And it's a great place to ask questions and, you know, get some ideas. I try to, I try to ask a lot of questions that just get people kind of thinking, you know, I feel like sex is a little bit like food. The more you talk about it, the more you want it. Right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you said like, um, Bev, I think it was you that said, you know, the more you don't have sex, then the less you want it. It's mm-hmm. like, that's how you, people feel when they get off sugar. Right. It takes like a week and then you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want it anymore. Yes, exactly. Doing the opposite. If you have somebody in your life who's, you know, championing the idea of you being intimate with your partner, the more we're talking about it, the more you want to do it. Yeah. Well, it's definitely like that. It's like when you do, you're like, why don't we do this more often? This is fantastic. Exactly. (laughs) So, Lauren, we always ask our guests, what does it mean to you to be brave? Well, you know, I think that ties in perfectly with what we're talking about because for a long time I talked about sex in my clinical practice. I worked for a major hospital when I lived in Tampa and I talked about it in a really clinical way. And that was what was being asked of me. So I was delivering that, but I wasn't talking about it publicly in a way that we are right now, in a way that's just like, you're just talking to your girlfriend with a glass of wine, you know, like, Mm -hmm. let's just talk about it. Like it, like people really talk about it, you know, (laughs) or should really be talking about it. Um, and so being brave for me has been 
being really outspoken about a topic that I think is so important because when at the end of the day, I really think it's saving marriages. It's really mm-hmm. saving relationships that can, this is a small part of the relationship, but it can become everything when it dissolves. Um, and so talking about it, even though it feels uncomfortable, maybe to your to your listener, whoever you're, you're talking to, knowing that your mom and God forbid your mother-in-law might even be listening and talking about it anyway, <laughs> you know? Well, Lauren, thank you so much. Thank you for making, you know, because even this, even this conversation in this podcast today, we had started off saying, I'm a little nervous about, you know, sharing and talking about these things, but I think it's, it's such a thing that we need to. And I love that we could put it out there for our listeners. So thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for the invitation.